So this is the third of three episodes dealing with Christmas. And in the first episode, I talked about Christmas traditions. And in the last episode, I talked about the 12 days of Christmas, uh, the song, the 12 first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. In this episode, I want to talk about the other 12 days of Christmas and my favorite Christmas carols and a little bit about leadership in the Christmas story itself. So stay tuned. In a world of incompetent bosses, micromanagers, and petty tyrants, one management professor claims that he can help you become the kind of leader that you would want to follow. You are listening to The Leadersmith. Now, here is your host, Darren Gertis. Okay, so as I was reading and researching about uh, the 12 days of Christmas and Christmas traditions and other things along these lines, I came across something like that I wasn't familiar with, uh, uh, you know, more of the background about Advent, about Epiphany, um, and specifically I want to talk about Epiphany and, and how human beings just uh, mess everything up <laughs> and how it took God to, to really fix these things. So Epiphany is, is what I want to talk about now. Uh, Epiphany is the way that Christmas has been celebrated traditionally. We talked about in the first episode about Santa and, you know, it was St. Nick's birthday or not birthday, that the commemoration of his death on December 6th. And then that got shifted to Christmas. Uh, and we talked about that in that episode. Here, I want to talk about Epiphany because Epiphany is when the wise, it, it's commemorating when the wise men came and found Christ. And so this is 12 days after Christmas, the 12 days of Christmas. So January 6th is when it's traditionally celebrated. And it's not celebrated a lot in the United States, but it is celebrated in many other countries. And so uh, Epiphany is really where the action has historically been in, in many other places. So I want to quote uh, a couple passages from the book that I was uh, using uh, about Christmas traditions. And so here it says this, In the 4th century, the era's most celebrated preacher, Augustine, so romanticized and embellished the history of the Epiphany that he almost ruined it. In the famous preacher's version of the Epiphany, the gift-bearing magi were bestowed with an upgraded social standing. Augustine made them members of the royalty, kings, if you will. Now, that's a problem because we don't know exactly what the Magi are, but, you know, we sing, we three kings of Orient are, right? Okay, so there's some kind of, I don't know, astrologers or something. Now, remember, they come from somewhere like Babylon. Now, who is in Babylon? Remember the exile, Judah was sent to Babylon. Uh, the northern kingdoms of Israel were sent to Assyria, uh, and they were exiled. And then Judah was sent to Babylon. So it's possible that people like Daniel had an effect on them so that they were looking for the star when Christ was born, that they knew of the prophecies. And so, but I don't think there were kings so much as uh, magi were just these kind of uh, mystical priests of some sort. Uh, maybe maybe they were in Zoroastrianism and, and they listened to Daniel's prophecies too and that kind of thing. Okay, well, at any rate, so they're not kings, but what did kings do in Europe? Well, they said, well, we're kings. You ought to bring us gifts. Listen to this. Again, I'm quoting from the book. In many places, Epiphany was literally taken over by members of the royal families. A host of blue bloods completely bought into Augustine's legend that the wise men were actually monarchs. Kings, queens, and others in their families embraced this retelling of the Magi's trip as if it were the gospel truth. They therefore saw Epiphany as a day to celebrate 
themselves, their role in society, and Christ's supposed close association with the world's monarchs. Plus, as people who obviously held such a place of honor in God's world, it afforded the rulers an opportunity to be honored by their subjects. Hence, on January 6th, the day designated as Epiphany, kings, queens, dukes, duchesses, and other members of the ruling class put on their finest clothing and staged huge parties to celebrate the arrival of their ancestors at the nativity scene. Now, their ancestors had nothing to do with it. They weren't showing up. I mean, it's, it has nothing to do with them. But it's amazing how we twist things to our own advantage. And, and kings and queens in Europe were not the only ones to twist things to their advantage. Okay, I'm also going to quote this passage from the book as well. Many European rulers studied the scripture concerning the Magi's gifts to Jesus, completely ignored the examples of Nicholas, and turned the scriptures around to suit their own selfish desires. Using the Bible as the rationale behind their demands, a host of, of the kings and queens in Europe wrote into law that subjects were to provide annual Christmas tributes to their rulers. Thus, the very poorest people in Europe were required to give the best that they had to the richest family in land each year on December 25th. Soon, lesser royals and government appointees were demanding Christmas tributes as well. The poor were deliberately taken advantage of in the name of the Christian faith. Even the church had to pay the rulers. So rather than making the holidays a time of celebration and joy, the demands of many of Europe's elite put Christmas gifts into a rather bad light. Well, that's not a lot of fun, is it? Okay, so I'm going to continue here. The author says this. In the 10th century, a Bohemian duke, now remembered as King Wenceslas, began to change the practice of Christmas tributes. Rather than demanding gifts from his people, Wenceslas took on the role of the wise men. He roamed the kingdom during the holidays and distributed firewood, food, and clothing. The duke reached out to the least of those in his kingdom each year, inspired many in his land to do likewise. So that's why we have the song, Good King Wenceslas. Okay, so here are the lyrics. Good King Wenceslas looked out on the Feast of Stephen. Stop. What is the Feast of Stephen? The Feast of Stephen is the day after Christmas. It's, uh, we call it Boxing Day in some countries. Like you ever saw on the calendar, Canadian Boxing Day? Like what is that? It's a day where you give good gifts to the poor and that kind of thing. So he's going out about Christmas. Now that's not the same as Epiphany, where the rulers are kind of lording it over it. He's doing the opposite. Good King Wenceslas looked out on the Feast of Stephen, when the snow lay round about, deep and crisp and even, brightly shone the moon that night, though the frost was cruel, when the poor man came in sight, gathering winter fuel. Right, that's a way the song goes. Okay, so I'm gonna skip a few lines. Bring me flesh and bring me wine, bring me pine logs hither, thou and I shall see him dine, when we bear them thither. That's like he's taking care of them. He's he's the monarch who's taking care of the poor. And and a little bit further, not only is he doing that, but he's talking uh, with his page, with his uh, with his servant, who's saying this, Sire, the night is darker now, and the wind blows stronger. Fails my heart, I know not how, I can go no longer. And Wenceslas says this, 
Mark my footsteps, good my page, tread thou in them boldly. Thou shalt find the winter's rage, freeze thy blood less coldly. Right? That's the that's how the song goes. And what's he saying? He's saying, walk in my steps. I'm going before you. I'm blazing the trail. That's servant leadership. That's what good King Wenceslas is talking about. He's taking care of the poor and he's being a servant leader, even to his servants who are helping him take care of the poor. That's great leadership. Now, you also find great leadership in the Christmas story itself. Like, what, What's the point of the Christmas story? God is solving the problem, the world's greatest problem, that they're in sin and they, they need a salvation. Right? So your job as a leader is to solve your followers' problems, clear obstacles. This is what's going on. And you can see it in um, O Holy Night, for example. O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Why do you need a Savior? Because you need salvation. You need to be saved from the, the uh, evil that's all around you. Listen, long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Why? Because Christ coming to earth was this beachhead uh, in, a, in attacking sin. Christ hadn't died for your salvation yet. That's going to be 33 years later when he's crucified on the cross. But this is the beginning of that. And that's what's going on there. And that's why we're talking about O Night Divine when Christ was born. One other thing that I want to address is this. Leadership has to be incarnational. And uh, that's what's happening. God is becoming man in Jesus Christ so that he could become that final sacrifice. But this incarnational thing extends beyond um, the religious or the, uh, the Christian, the biblical. It's beyond that. I had a friend who uh, worked on his dissertation a few years behind me at a at Regent University, and he was uh, talking about leadership and dealing with the poor in Appalachia. And what he found was one of the keys to success, in fact, a big key to success, was incarnational. So it doesn't work very well just to um, you know leave your suburb or wherever you're comfortable and safe and go minister to those poor people or whatever and then come back to it. No, the people that really made a difference were the people that went to live with them, to go be with them, to dwell with them. And that's what God did for us when he came in Christ. Okay, so now I uh, want to shift gears a little bit and talk about my favorite Christmas carol to wrap this up. My favorite Christmas carol is I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And I'll tell you why. The poem was written by Longfellow in 1863. In, in 1861, his wife was uh, died in a, in a fire. And so that's a brutal year. In 1862, the, uh, the Civil War is on and his son, over his protest, joins the Union Army and, uh, and he's in the Civil War. In 1863, his son is wounded in the Civil War, and that's in November 1863. On Christmas Day in 1863, he writes this poem called Christmas Bells. Now remember, Christmas is supposed to be this time of celebration. It's, you know, the bells are ringing to announce that God won, right? Um, that Now, it's not all been unfolded yet, but eventually he has won. And, and so he's trying to reconcile all this trouble in his life with this uh, idea of peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And, and that's a refrain right from Luke 2.14 in the King James versions. The angels are saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. So here are the stanzas of the poem. I'm going to read the first, the second, and the last two. He says this, I heard the bells on Christmas day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat, 
of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Now he's trying to reconcile that with all the tragedy in his life. And he gets near the end, the second to last stanza, he says, And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And then he concludes, Then peal the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. And this is our quotation for contemplation for today. It's the last stanza of the Christmas bells. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. I hope that helps you and encourages you to become the kind of leader that you would want to follow. Thank you.